Let us look to the Lord together in prayer as we begin uh, the message this morning. Father, before us is your word, and it is meant for the feeding of the sheep. And Lord, we pray that you would indeed feed us out of that word this day. Father, you know the needs of your sheep. You know uh, what they need to hear. And as they have prayed for the preaching of the word today, and I've prayed with them, we pray, Lord, that you would now fit it to our needs by your grace. Father, we're dependent upon you for the profit and effectiveness of this ordinance. And so we pray that for Christ's sake, for our Savior's sake, he would work in us and through us by your word today. For we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Well, how many of you have ever worn ankle weights? Any of you have ever worn those? Okay. See a few hands going up here and there. Um, for those uh, of you who might not be familiar with them, they're, they're used in various sports for, for training. Uh, they, they're used in soccer and basketball and football and running. Uh, those are all sports in which they can be used effectively in training. But really, any sport where you're running or jumping uh, can benefit from ankle weight training. Ankle weights are just what they sound like, uh, weights that are strapped to your ankles. And some of them have pouches into which you can add or subtract the amount of weight you want. If they're used in any discipline, you have to be careful, though. Um, they're not something you can use all the time, and there's something, that, there's something that you have to be very careful about. It's that you don't put too much weight in. Um, if you use them too often or there's too much weight involved, it can cause damage to joints and to muscles and to tendons and if they're too heavy or, or overused, they can really cause more harm than they can good. I've used them on occasion, and anyone who has ever done so can tell you that it's a weird sensation when you first start out with that extra weight at the bottom of your, of your legs. Um, you, it takes a little while to get used to it, especially at first. You, you just have to realize you have to put more effort into lifting your leg uh, to make it move, and it takes more, not only effort, but determination to, to actually move with them on your legs. And like most things, after a while, your body adjusts, and you notice it a bit less, and it's not something that you're thinking about like you were before, and of course that's part of the training purpose, and you can get into sort of a natural rhythm uh, that only gets disturbed if you stop what you're doing for a l any length of time. And if, if you stop after a while and then you try to lift it, your, your leg's a little tired from lifting that weight already, so now it's even harder to do what you're doing. But as those of you who have ever used them know, the real perk comes when you take them off. When you unstrap those weights and you drop them off your legs, then you feel like you can run like the wind. You can run faster than you've ever run before. That you could jump over anything. And that you could, even if you wanted to, fly. 
uh, if you've had enough weight on for enough time, you just have that sensation. You want to go out and play basketball because you can jump uh, like you've never been able to jump before, at least in your own mind. Now, the things of this world often feel like ankle weights, don't they? They weigh you down, and at times they slow you down, and they can cause you to, to stumble. Even when you get used to dragging those things around and you get a certain rhythm, if you pause or some new challenge suddenly increases the weight, it can be difficult to get back into that same rhythm. The daily grind of life in this fallen world often makes it feel like we're dragging, dragging the equivalent of ankle weights around day by day. An extra load of weight wrapped around our strength, wrapped around our minds, wrapped around our hearts, and even perhaps at times wrapped around our souls. Just dealing with life in this world without any special burdens can become tedious and grueling. Now, as believers, our burdens are made lighter. They're made lighter by the Lord. They're made lighter by the privilege of prayer. As Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you, and knowing that he cares for us, and having that privilege of being able to cast all of our care upon him, lightens our load. And the promises of God's word, they encourage us along the way. We delight in passages like Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Verses like that encourage us as we, we go through life, carrying the burdens of life. We look on the providence of God. And we know that he is working all things together for our good. And it makes the road easier. And we're thankful that we're not alone in, in all these things. Proverbs describes the life, the, the, the trip, the, the journey of the believer. And it says in Proverbs 14 that the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter under the perfect day. But the weakness of our flesh, both spiritually and physically, the relentless assaults of the enemy, and the endless noise of the world sometimes challenges even the hardiest of believers. David knew that experience. He had a heart after God's own heart. And he knew that God loved him, and he knew that God cared for him, and he was fully aware of that. And yet he cried out more than once with words like those you read in Psalm 31, verse 9. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief, yes, my soul and my body. So here he is, a man after God's own heart knows God loves and cares for him, and yet he comes to that point where he's so burdened by the things of this life that he just cries out and says, Lord, please help, help. Now, since March, 
It feels like events have just been adding weight to the pouches that are Velcroed around us by various circumstances every day. It just feels that way. We're already making our way through life. We're carrying the, the burdens of this life with us. And now these extraordinary events come along and add to the burden. Eventually, added weight like this takes a toll. The extra burden requires more out of us just to face the common and daily challenges of life because we're burning up so much emotional and spiritual energy every day in dealing with the extra things that are going on. Things that you could at other times take in stride suddenly cause a pause and maybe even a groan. You can get to that place where you wonder just how far away the tipping point is. That point where you become overwhelmed and just can't carry anymore. Now here we are at the end of the year with the celebration of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, obviously, just ahead. And under normal circumstances, that celebration can be more or less stressful for all sorts of reasons. Some of those stresses are justified, some of them are unjustified, but I don't want to address that issue today. Let's just agree that this can be a stressful time. To whatever degree it represents a special time of the year for you and your family and whatever responsibilities it's bring, it brings into your life. And let's agree, too, that that stress, coupled with all the things that have been weighing us down lately, can depress us and steal away our sense of joy and peace, even in a season that's supposed to be full of comfort and joy. Now, I know that there are those who would debate the legitimacy of even that statement that this should be a season of comfort and joy. I, I've got that. But this is not our purpose today. Again, however you feel about it, it remains a source of stress for many. That's just a fact. And for some, just debating that subject itself adds to the stress and makes it more, more difficult. Now, there are, of course, several ways in which you can approach these circumstances, all of them. And depending on the work of God, the Holy Spirit, they can be more or less effective in relieving the stress of life and restoring the joy and contentment of our hearts. But one of the most effective means is to prayerfully concentrate and meditate on the word of God itself. And by focusing your attention on it, escaping some of the burdensome aspects of this life, whether we're talking about this season or not, or whether we're talking about the things that have been coming into our lives since March, or whether we're just talking about the usual burdens of life, <coughs> concentrating and focusing on the Word of God can help us to escape from some of the burden of those things. In Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 17, 
the Lord says through his prophet there, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He shall make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. And that was a song to be sung to the chief musician with stringed instruments. So you see the correlation there? Focusing on him, we remove those weights from our ankles and we'll walk on the high places. We'll, we'll be like deer springing through the forest because we're focused on him and on his word. And that is what we are to consider this morning. His word has a way of springing the heart free of earthly things earthly weights, of raising our thoughts to ride on on high places, causing us to look up to God and his grace and his love and his mercy, and in looking up to him, allowing us to rise above the heaviness and the clamor of the world and to rejoice in, in the one who is our God and what he's done for us because he loves us. Now we call this the season that we're in now, the Advent season. Advent is a Latin term meaning literally to come. To come. And it's used to speak of the arrival of someone notable. Uh, And of course, the arrival of the incarnate Son of God into this world was the most notable arrival of anyone to date. And we, we recognize that. Of all the people who have ever come into this world, Christ coming into this world is the most extraordinary, important one. Technically, the Advent season, according to the church, runs from November the 29th until December the 24th, or what we call Christmas Eve. But if you pause and think about it for a moment, beloved, the even greater Advent season has been running for you and me since Jesus ascended into the heavens. And it's slated to end when he returns again in power and great glory. We're talking about a greater Advent season. Not this one that we mark during the last Sunday of November up until Christmas Eve, but the one that began with the ascension of Christ and will end with his return. This Advent season, this greater Advent season, was introduced formally by the angels on the day of Christ's ascension in Acts chapter 1 and verses 9 through 11. We read that now when he, that is Jesus, had spoken these things, while they watched, while his disciples watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, 
Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And it's interesting that they should put it that way. It's not, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father now. Just go out and be about your business. No, what they say is, as you've seen him go, he's coming again. So don't stand there gazing up, watching his leaving. Get ready for his return. Now's the time to begin preparing for his return. And for them, preparing for his return was going out and sharing the gospel as they were commanded to do as his people. This second and greater advent is only a comfort, is only a message of joy because of the first advent. If Christ hadn't come the first time, if he hadn't been born in Bethlehem, if he hadn't come to this world as the incarnate Son of God, if he hadn't sacrificed himself as, as the propitiation for our sins, then we would have no comfort, no joy in the message that he was coming back. But because he did come, this message of his return to us is a message of comfort and joy. Now let me show you what I mean by that. If you haven't already, please just look back at Revelation chapter 22. And we're at the end of the Bible, and as the book closes, it's Jesus who tells you to look for his return. It's the way the Bible closes calling on you to be looking for his return. You read it in chapter 22, verse 7. What does Jesus say there? Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of, this, of the prophecy of this book. Then down in chapter 22, verses 12 and 13, he says... Again, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And then finally, once more in verse 20, he says there, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Even, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. So here you sit this morning, and as you do, you're anticipating the advent of Jesus Christ. You aren't just a people who just remember and celebrate the first advent, but you're a people who look for and hopefully celebrate his great and glorious second advent which will complete and seal up all that he undertook in his first appearance. Now I want you to focus your attention, please, for a bit on the 16th verse. And here Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. 
I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Just look four things here. First of all, notice the personal character of this message. I, Jesus, have sent you this message. This truth, says Doram, is commanded from the fountain from which it comes. From I, Jesus, I have sent my angel to testify these things in the churches. These are not John's inventions, nor the sayings of an angel out of his own head, but they are for me. I own them all. I, Jesus, taking his name to himself, have sent my angel in more than an ordinary way to reveal these things to my servant John and buy them to the churches to the end of the world. This is not the invention of John. It's not the invention of an angel. It's not the wishful thinking of some of his followers who just couldn't believe that he was gone and that he, wasn't, he was gone from their presence, vainly hoping that one day he was going to come back. And it's not the creative fiction of dreamers who imagine a future of their own making. This is Jesus telling you that he is coming again. It is the Jesus of history here speaking, says A.T. Robertson, who is also the Christ of theology and the Lamb of God. He is the one who is returning. This is your Jesus, if, you indeed, if indeed you're his today. This is your Jesus telling you that he's coming again and that he will gather all of you to himself and you will enter into his glorious presence in his eternal kingdom. A kingdom in which there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. He's coming again to bring you fully into that kingdom. Now, obviously, he brings us into it when we believe the gospel. We have a part in that kingdom. But we're talking here about his return and bringing us into the fullness of that kingdom. Through the resurrection and translation of those who are his. And what is more... All the things that grieve and trouble his people right now, he tells us, are shut out of that kingdom. In chapter 22, verse 15, he says, Outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Just think, beloved, this morning of all the things being imposed on your society right now that trouble your hearts, the drugs, the sexual perversion, all sorts of selfish, violent, and senseless murders, the worship of the earth and the creation rather than the creator, with all the lies and the deception that's a part of it. And there's more to come. I think there's very little doubt about that. All these things that we've just spoken of 
form a part of the weight that burdens our hearts and threatens our joy. To think about the effort to to deal with this despicable um, sex education program in our state, all the effort that went in to defeat it and then to find it just fail. It's like somebody snapped open the pouch and poured a little more weight in. All these things form a part of the weight that burdens our hearts and threatens our joy. But wait, you and I are in the Advent season. Not just the one you remember every December, but the one that you anticipate and is yet to fully come. And when the Jesus who came the first time comes again, all these things will no longer forever be a part of your life in any way, shape, or form. They will no longer be a burden for you to bear. They will no longer be something that you'll hear about and it will make your heart groan. All of that will be gone forever. All of that is outside of this kingdom. Inside of this kingdom that he's coming to bring to you and me is the joy and the fullness of his presence forever. With all of that shut out. And it is your Jesus, that very same Jesus who suffered and died for you so that you might be able to look on this second coming with joy and expectation. The very one who rose from the dead, carrying with you with him, who promises this to you. They come, as we might say, from his mouth to your ear. And his word about this, beloved, is as sure and certain as his word to you regarding your sin and salvation. In Psalm 43, verse 3, the psalmist says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. There are many in this world, beloved, who ought to be discouraged and depressed. But those who know Jesus and know that he's coming again, shouldn't be among them. You have his word on this, and it seals and confirms the whole of the matter. This coming is formally attested to. That's the second thing. Jesus is the one who brings the message, and it's a message that's formally attested to. We all love to sing the hymns, that speak of the angel messengers who suddenly and unexpectedly accosted the shepherds in Bethlehem. We love to sing their beautiful message. It's familiar to us. We all know those words of the angel, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the, uh, the, the angel in a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We love to sing about that moment. That angelic announcement of, of the coming of Christ into the world. These are the words that we agree are tidings of comfort and joy. So we sing, God rest you merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were going to stray. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. Fear not, then, said the angel, let nothing you affright. This day is born a Savior of a pure virgin bright to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. We love to sing about that. Now let me ask you, what's your favorite song about the second advent? This, this one, it's done. It was a great moment, unlike any other in the world. But in front of you is this even greater advent. And what's your favorite song about it? It's just as thoroughly and assuredly attested to by his uh, messengers. Just as thoroughly attested to as the first one was by them. Right? Who said Christ was coming the first time? Angels and prophets, right? Who's told you Christ is coming again? Angels and prophets. So you've got the same people, or the same messengers, let me put it that way, bringing you the same message. And the difference is that that's something you look back in history. I don't know why I'm looking over there. <laughs> You're looking back at this event in history of Christ's first advent, and you know you have a part in it, but you weren't there. But you will be there for this one. You'll be in it really and, and, and thoroughly and completely in it when he comes again. Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, what? Anybody know what the next word is? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. These are the second Advent's tidings of comfort and joy. That's what they are. And they bring us to sing, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior will come another day to gather all his saints above where they will ever stay. 
O tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. When the angels made his first coming known, it was shared by a small group of shepherds who went to Bethlehem. And you're told that they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And they did what they did there when they saw him there. And then and they marveled and then they left. They left that scene. And they went back into the world of sorrow, back to the fields, back into the common drudgery of life. But we're told they left him glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard as it was told to them. Beloved, when you see the things attested to by the angels concerning his second coming, you're not going to go back. You're not going to say, oh, here he is, he's come. And then go back into the drudgery of life. But you're going to go forward. Forward into the everlasting joy of his presence. His presence not as the infant come to be the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world, wrapped in swaddling clothes, but as the Lion of the tribe of Judah upon his throne, King of kings and Lord of lords. And you're going to stay and abide there in his presence where all those things that burden you now are shut out where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sickness and you will rejoice in his presence forever. This promise of his return has been made by him and he sent his messengers to attest to it as the witness of what he intends to do which is to come again quickly and in power and in great glory. And now he adds this, I am the root of the offspring of David. And I apologize, the clock on the wall has stopped working. And I didn't have anything to do with it, it's just not working. So I don't have any idea what time it is, I'll try to go through this just as quickly as I can. He's the root and the offspring of David. These words are designed to encourage any who might be discouraged or anxious right now. They are the culmination of a prophecy made during some of the darkest days of the church. The days of Isaiah. The prophet said, In the name of the Lord your God, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. You read it with me this morning in our responsive reading. In verse 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Jesus came into this world, born of a virgin, when the prospects of the house of David were bleak and all but extinguished. If you were looking for a king, even a local despot, you would hardly be looking at Bethlehem when Jesus came. And yet here he came, the one whose reign would make David seem like nothing, make it seem small and insignificant, as glorious as it was at the time. Out of that stump of a once great dynasty, there seemed no hope. And yet in him, in Jesus, were to be found all the hopes of redemption for any man or woman. 
He is the very shoot, the stock or branch to come out of Jesse who would conquer death by his own death. The one who had the right to stand in the place of sinners at the cross, who had the power to overcome the grave and rise with a glorious body and the authority to bring all the elect with him, affecting the promised redemption for all and securing for you and me all the happy prospects of his second coming. It's Paul who declares that Jesus Christ, our Lord, was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. This is the very one, (coughs) this branch, this stem out of Jesse, this is the very one who made it clear that he's coming again, and when he does, he is going to gather you to himself and never let you go. Never let you go again. All these things are made possible by him and in him, beloved. All the good that God promises to you passes through him to you. And he is the bright and morning star. Jesus takes this title to himself, and it's one that encompasses so much in regard to him and who he is. John, in the opening of his gospel, says this. This is John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, and many of you know this by heart. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light. Jesus was the true light, or is the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus, in his first advent, brought light and life, bursting on this world like a brilliant star of hope. It was the promise of a new day under the light of the gospel. But the culmination, beloved, of that new day is yet to fully dawn. That's the promise of his second advent. (coughs) And those who have a part in him... As it says here in chapter 22, verse 4, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their forehead. There will be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. He's the star on the horizon of these things coming for you and for me. That's why he declares himself to be the bright and morning star. He came in his first advent. He's coming again, and when he comes again, it'll be the burst of the full light of day. And if we ask, how can such things be for a dying people? The answer lies in his own resurrection. In Romans 8, Paul writes, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit 
that dwells in you. Even as you hold all the promises of Christ in your hearts today, you're still slogging along in this state of mortality. And it's like a long night. But remember, beloved, the night is far spent, as the scripture puts it. Since Christ came the first time, and the day is at hand. Paul said in Romans 13, verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The Savior's resurrection and ascension give us this very hope. What did Jesus say to his disciples before he was taken from them by death and and then before his ascension? He looked at his disciples and he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming again. And here we are, beloved, right in the midst of the second advent, waiting for that day when he returns. And in the meantime, he is, as Dubois says, our luminary our morning star, to guide and encourage us in the darkness of this world. So, just quickly here, what is it like for you, believer, to sit here knowing that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night and that it draws near every day of your life? We know how to celebrate the blessings of the first Advent. How do you celebrate and enjoy the expectations and anticipations of the second advent. In this world, sorrows are multiplied and the very ground is cursed. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. But because Christ came in the first advent to be the death of death, you who are in him have in you the anticipation of a second and greater advent, beautifully described by the old Puritan John Gill. As Christ, by his first coming, who was then the day spring from on high, put an end to the night of Jewish darkness and sprung the great gospel day, so often spoken of by the prophets, and brought life and immortality to light by the gospel, and showed the way to eternal life by himself, so by his second coming, to which this character refers, he will put an end to the night of anti-Christian darkness so that there shall be no more night 
and shall make an everlasting day and bring such light into the holy city that it shall need no candle nor light of the sun or the moon. And that's what we're looking forward to. Without expectation, how can the believer be trodden down and depressed? With this before you, knowing that this day is coming, how can the things of this world so weigh us down that we lose our comfort and joy? Our comfort and joy was never meant to be invested into this world. Our comfort and joy is invested in Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for our sins, and the promise of his coming again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you now to bless us as we contemplate this second coming of our great Lord and Savior. Oh, Father, we pray that we might not lose sight of it in the drudgery of this world. But, Lord, you would bring it to mind and heart and press your word upon us. And, Father, we might look at every day, wake every day with a sense of expectation and anticipation, knowing that the Christ who came to redeem us from sin and death is coming again to bring the fullness of that sacrifice and his blessings into our lives forever and ever. And Lord, if there's anyone here listening this morning who doesn't have that hope, Lord, I pray that you would look mercifully upon them, that they would look upon Christ and see him as indeed the day spring from on high, the morning star, the bright and morning star. And Father, look beyond this world for peace, for comfort, for joy, and look to Christ who gives it to the hearts and the lives of men and women and children freely. Thank you, Father, for all that is ours in Christ. Receive our thanks in his precious name. Amen.